Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So this week I'm doing a bit of a different one. It is Scottish but I don't think we have covered one that kind of goes down this way if you get what I mean. So I'm looking forward to telling you this one and see if you know anything about it. So this week I'm telling you the story of Andrew Ramsey. Samantha, do you know the name Andrew Ramsey? Does it ring any bells? None at all. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) No, that's fine. That's fine. I actually find this case really interesting while researching for it because it's the first time I've actually read information on Reddit and like some blog posts, which, you know, I'm not saying that some stuff on that is not accurate, but I did file check, like, check everything. Um, but I actually read like people had written blog posts about this case, which I've never really seen much of them before in our like past ones. So I just thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So I will begin. So our case is takes place, sorry, in Cardonald, which is five miles outside of Glasgow. Um, if you don't know what it is, it's like an outlying suburb of Glasgow. Um, and I think it was like a village of its own right, but it's now part of like a district kind of thing. Um, I couldn't really get a population, but it seems to be quite a nice wee place. Like, there doesn't seem to be many issues or anything there. Um, so Andrew Ramsey lives there, and he is 52 years old. He's a very, very normal-looking man from the outside. Like, when you put a photo up, he just looks like an uncle. That's the best way I can describe it. He just looks like the most normal kind of man. He loved hill-walking and going outside. So, like, the most famous photo of him is him in his hill-walking gear, like up a big hill he was an accountant and he had been married twice and when this happened he was currently divorcing his second wife Eleanor who he had two children with Andrew and Jennifer now they when they were together they lived in a lovely house in Bears Den which was actually meant to be quite a nice part of Glasgow I don't know much about Bears Den it's a lot bigger than I realized um it's a tiny it's very affluent Yes, that's the word. Sorry, you know, it's very thanks. affluent. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just outside city centre, but it's like technically a suburb. Um, but it's got a population of just under 30,000 people, which I thought was really, really big. I thought it was, I thought Bearsden was a lot smaller, but that's probably just me. He travelled for work. He'd been all over the world and done loads for like his accountant firm. Um, between 2004 and 2005, he actually worked for a company based in Belgium. And he met a woman over there named Marika, who was like a past model and singer and they kind of had a relationship. But he came back to Glasgow in 2005, so ended that relationship. But they like kept in touch via like email and stuff. But he now lived in Cardonald with his girlfriend, Beverly Sinclair. Now, Beverly was a receptionist at a local hospital in Glasgow and they got together like pretty quickly. Like it all just kind of happened quite quick and they ended up moving into her flat quite quick as well. Um... And bear in mind, he's still divorcing his second wife while he is now like with and living with Beverly, which, you know, that's no issue with that. But that's the kind of picture. Now, in January 2006, this is when it all starts taking place, 2006, HM Revenue and Customs were actually interviewing Andrew, um, involving him for a previous, com- like, with, um, sorry, something that happened with a previous company and figuring out his involvement in a 500 million VAT fraud at this mobile phone company so he was involved in this to what extent I'm not 100% sure but he was involved in being like questioned about this 
they actually went and searched his house in Bear's Den, which I'm assuming that's where Eleanor still lived. Um, they got a warrant and searched that house, but they found nothing. So I don't know exactly what they were looking for with a VAT fraud. Like, I don't know what they would find, but they got nothing. Now, people were quite shocked by this. As I said, he looks like a completely normal guy. And he just doesn't seem like the kind of person that would do that kind of thing. He was quite quiet, not involved in a lot of trouble. Um, so people were really quite shocked about this, like the people that knew him. Like, when I say he lived a normal life, he was the kind of guy that would, like, twice a week would, like, have a drink of cider at home and then, like, would hill walk at weekends and then, like, go to the pub after his hill walk kind of thing. A very, very normal lifestyle. Now, in February 2006, a man actually turns up at Beverly's home. He's driving a Jaguar car and he's well-dressed and he basically goes to the door, Beverly's home alone, and answers the door and he just asks to speak to Andrew um, and she tells him that he's not there, he's not in, and he just basically asks her to pass on the message that he had work for him. And he gets in his car and drives off and Beverly's realised she's actually not asked for a name, she's not asked for anything, which later on people are a bit like, mm, but I do that. See, sometimes at work when I take a phone call, I completely forget to ask who's on the phone. Um, so I can completely get why this woman's probably just like, oh, he's not in, it's nothing to do with me. So Andrew comes home that night and Beverly says to him quite quickly, like, oh, by the way, this man was here. And he was quite shocked and worried about this. Like she said, he reacted quite funny to it because he then said that he had told nobody he was living there. So somebody knew. And he then told friends about this and said that he was worried about the fraud and said that he was technically in too deep, he said. Um, he also emailed Marika, if you remember the girl that he emails, and said he was worried as well. And he actually mentioned to her that he was soon be going abroad and wouldn't be contactable, um, which we'll come into the story a bit later. Now, it's Wednesday the 22nd of February 2006, and Andrew and Beverly um, went to a pub on Paisley Road West. Um, they spoke to others. They seemed absolutely fine. And we're discussing a trip to the Cairngorms. They both seemed quite excited and like were looking forward to it and just had like a nice normal night down the pub really um Andrew was dressed a bit smarter than normal people said like and he normally just wore kind of casual clothes but he was wearing like a tan suit and like a pink shirt which I'm like what an outfit fair enough but yeah that's what he wore at the pub it was about 7 p.m and they left and started walking home they stopped in at like the wee kind of shop and they got a bottle of cider and a chocolate cake from the shop and we're heading back up to the house now just to let you know obviously where they live they live not far from Ibrox Stadium and Rangers were playing that night and they were playing at home. I'm not sure who they were playing, but roughly like 50,000 fans were heading to Ibrox along the same road they were walking on. So they were kind of just walking along. That's Paisley Road West, which is quite like a popular road for going to the stadium. Now, as they were just pulling up to their street, a dark Honda Accord pulls up just outside Beverly's house and two smartly men get out and address Beverly and Andrew by name. And they identify themselves as undercover police officers. And they tell Andrew that he's basically required at the local police station, which would be Stuart Street Police Station. So as normal, he's handcuffed, led into the back of the car. Um, Beverly's told that after they're done with him, they'll bring him home. So Beverly obviously knows about the fraud case. So it would be that and just kind of was like, OK, that's fine. They obviously need more information. Hours start to pass by and it gets to 9pm and she calls family to tell them what happened and they're like, right, okay, so she starts like telling people he's been taken to the station, blah, blah, blah. Police said they would bring him back home, but, you know, he's been there since seven at night. It's now nine at night. How long would he be staying for? At 11pm, she then decides to call Stuart Street Police Station and she's a bit worried. So she tells the operator, like, basically, this is the thing. He's been picked up, taken into the station. It's now been X amount of hours and they've not brought him home. 
it's late at night, I've had no information, can someone tell me what's happening? So the operator asks for Andrew's full name, goes and checks, and that is when he tells Beverly that nobody was sent to bring Andrew into the police station and there's no record of this at all. He was not needed at the police station. So this is when both Beverly and the call handler realise that he has been kidnapped. So the next day, the 23rd of February, police begin an investigation as Andrew, a 50-odd-year-old man, has just been kidnapped outside his home, basically, by two people pretending to be police officers. So they obviously start trying to get witnesses. As I said, Rangers were playing, so Ibrox was busy, loads of locals around, um, and there was also like a karate class in a church right outside Beverly's house uh, for children. So parents were picking up their children. I think that finished around that time as well. Um, so they basically started appealing for witnesses that saw Andrew that night, that saw the car, anything. And no witnesses come forward for this at all. A week later, so this is the 28th of February, his brother Stuart and his sister Linda actually make a public appeal, which... It's quite early, actually, especially for like, you know, you hear about this when it's like the parents of children, etc. But they made a public appeal and basically mentioned the strain this was having on their older dad. Um, officers began stopping cars to ask people, etc. Like basically people that were walking in the area. But weeks are passing and there is nothing. There is no leads. There is no witnesses. There is no one that even looks a bit suspicious. There's absolutely no information. Now, obviously, the main theory of this is they think he was kidnapped. And they had a four hour window of time between him being taken and actually Beverly raising the alarm because she obviously didn't realise. So they had four hours, so they could be technically anywhere. But what the police aren't obviously understanding is if they wanted to hurt him, if it was something to do with a fraud case or if he was involved in something else and people just wanted to hurt him, why do this big show? Why do this big kidnapping in front of Beverly? Beverly's seen the men. She can easily describe what they look like. Like they could have just got him when he was alone, do you know? So this is when the police obviously start looking into a bit more who Andrew was as a person and start looking into a bit about his life. So as I said, he was married twice. Twice, sorry, His first wife, Linda, they divorced way, way back. And a month after their divorce was approved, he then married Eleanor. In 1990, as I said, they moved to Bear's Den um, and Andrew began getting involved with a, a string, basically, of failed businesses. Um, like some of these businesses would trade for like two years and then just like finish, we'll go bankrupt, blah, blah, blah. Um, some companies actually owed thousands when they like finished. So they were like, these companies were like closing, but they were also in debt. Um, he worked for a club called, well, he worked for a place, sorry, a com- an organisation called Golden Miles, which was founded in 1998 and they worked in Glasgow in the Carlton Club, which was basically like a sauna. If you get what I mean, it, it was a brothel, that kind of vibe. Um, the nature wasn't disclosed really but it was shut down um, no evidence was shown that they were involved in crime but I think he was involved with some shady sort of people so the police now believe there's two reasons behind this they first believe that it was a planned kidnapping um, due to his career the people he'd met in his life maybe the, as I've said again the whole VAT fraud thing there's so many reasons what it could be the second idea the police have is that he's potentially faked his own death. Now, that's something we've never ever touched on in any episodes. Is like anyone ever faking their own death? Because when I did my research for this, I thought that was a really uncommon thing, and I was really wrong. Um, I ended up on this website full of people that faked their own death, and a lot of them are American, yes, but I couldn't believe how many were actually like British as well. 
Now, I looked into it as well, and faking your own death is not, like, technically illegal, but if you then, like, get fraudulent or illicit activities, like tax evasion, insurance fraud, etc., or avoiding, like, prosecution by pretending to be dead, that's when, obviously, you're committing a crime. Now, as I said, I ended up on this kind of website, like, reading about it, and I was looking into, like, famous, as I said, British cases of people, and the... It has absolutely nothing to do with it, but I just wanted to like speak about this case really quickly um, because, as I said, I didn't think it was such a big thing, but it clearly is. So I don't know if you've heard of John Darwin, Samantha. I don't know if that rings a bell because like, I knew about it. That's not that guy with the canoe that the BBC yes, just... Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, that's... Yes, yes. So John Darwin, basically, for people that don't know, he basically faked his own death. So he was a former teacher and prison officer um and he basically like went to went out canoeing and didn't come home so like they thought he was dead basically and then he turned up alive five and a half years later in like 2007 so bearing in mind like this is kind of similar timings like you know he's still John Darwin hadn't been found yet but obviously while the investigations are going on John Darwin is found up found up is found so police are like oh this is a possibility but darwin was actually arrested and charged with fraud and so was his wife for like helping basically collect his life insurance of like two hundred fifty thousand, um which like she obviously got that paid out which paid off their mortgage and like they basically were caught they were seen together um and she basically was like yeah i knew he was alive he was secretly living like somewhere else and they got all the insurance money and they were sent to six years in prison um and as samantha mentioned there the itv have just done a drama the thief his wife in the canoe which focuses on his story um it's on the itv hub if you live in the uk if you don't live in the uk i'm not 100 sure where you can see it but i've heard that's meant to be really really good so i was going to watch that another one as well if you actually want a whole episode on that we probably could do it. i know it's not scottish but it is quite a good one so obviously andrew goes missing and then within like what a year two nearly two years of his missing this kind of happened so you can obviously see why police were like "Mm." and police also another missing person that actually faked their own death um was a man called Alistair Liddell and the police kind of linked it to that because in 1997 he was a lawyer and his business began failing so he called his wife one afternoon basically said it arrived safe at a meeting and then completely vanished out of sight after withdrawing like funds from his bank and he was also presumed dead in mysterious circumstances. Like his car was found in Air Harbour with a suicide note in it. And they believe he swam out to the River Clyde and drowned. And then a year later in Cornwall in England, someone completely unrelated to this is murdered. So the police begin questioning everyone that might have an interest in the case, which included poor Alistair. He's just there during questioning. They actually found out, like obviously he's required to provide like his real legal name. And when they ran a check on it, they saw that he had like, an unpaid traffic thing and then eventually found out he was not who he said he was at all he was working as a flower picker named rob fox and a new girlfriend and everything and they were like mm. so he was also charged with embezzlement jailed for 12 months for stealing <laughs> 18 grand off his client's money and um, he basically said like i do feel bad for the people i hurt and betrayed but i had no choice like yeah so anyway that was a complete side note there about people faking their own death but I just wanted to give some evidence why, because when I first read it, I was like, they're now clutching at straws. But actually, faking your own death is a much more common thing than I realised. Um, but obviously, the whole faking the own death thing 
is it real in this case? Well, he did email that girl um, that lives abroad and said that he was going. Do you remember? He did actually email her and say, like, I am going away for a while. So when he emailed Marika, like, that could technically have been something. But also now Beverly's thinking about the man at the door. She remembers this worried him and he told his friends, etc. So was this man at the door maybe there to see him, to, like, actually threaten him then and there? And then maybe was it by chance they saw him? There's obviously so many questions here. And the only witness to these men at all are Beverly. So the police obviously haven't asked her a lot of questions. Now, police basically then spoke about this fraud case, right? So the one that I've been talking about, the VAT case. So police say that he wasn't actually that involved in that case as he gave a statement, but it actually wasn't even confirmed yet if he would have to go to court and actually give like a verbal statement like he did his witness statement but actually they're not accusing him of anything and they're not actually confirming that he would have to go and stand up in court so that obviously kind of gives that theory a wee bit of a wobble because I think everyone kind of thought that would be why um he also hadn't had a job for six months and apparently he was quite enjoying like this kind of lifestyle um but this is when they start like obviously getting like more teams involved and start looking more into the whole abduction theory thing and they actually get a team of 30 officers assigned to the case and they actually get the team that worked on the limbs in the lock murder samantha william beggs do you remember yeah so unless if people are like i have absolutely no clue what you're talking about samantha did this case oh how long ago did we do that one it wasn't long at all because I think the only reason I know that is because I still remember it. So um, it was actually one, two, three, four to wait, four episodes back. No Probably way. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I'm talking rubbish. It was the 29th of May. <laughs> I was like, I would have said that was like, we took that last year <laughs> to give it a listen. Okay, you, yeah, that... you weren't even on the podcast <laughs> for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I should give that a listen. No, I'm joking. I you should give that a listen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's the same team that did that. So if you're interested in that, feel free to have a listen. You don't have to. I'm not there. There's no point. Um, no, yeah, another... Caitlin never looks. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> nah, don't worry. It's all right. Um, so another interesting one, however, though, is Andrew applied for a loan. Well, £150,000 loan was applied for a bank by Andrew for remortgaging Beverly's home. He didn't tell Beverly he tried to remortgage her home. He went to a bank and done it, and luckily it was declined. But what did he want this money for? Like, why did he need 150k? Like, nobody actually knows. Beverly, of course, had no idea he was even doing it. So it's not even like she's like, oh, yeah, he would have been doing it for X, Y, Z. She had no idea that this guy was trying to every mortgage your house but luckily it was to claim they was in a lot of gambling debt or something yeah it could be something like that has never been found so i'm not gonna be like mm-hmm. um, that has never <laughs> yeah. been found but it could Sorry. be that he is no you're fine it could be that he did owe people money it reminds me a bit of andrew the... wilson thank you um you're well that is that a one. case we you're did well. but i promise you that was a while ago that was a while ago. Yes. Um, I, yeah, this case has given me kind of vibes of that because if you, I'm not going to spoil that because that is a really, really good story, that one. And I think that is so important to be listened to because it's mental how it all kind of happened. But 
at he was involved in things that maybe not everyone knew and this is the vibe this case has given me like I don't think even now we have all the information about this because this it doesn't just make sense that this man is kidnapped for no reason and then just before he's kidnapped he's trying to get a £150,000 loan that doesn't all make sense so the police now speak to Mr Iqbal, who is the director of the company involved in the fraud case. So he's now questioned by the police and he stated that Andrew worked for them as an accountant, but he was actually fired in 2004 for messing up VAT returns. Um, he also said that he was a big drinker and he used to use work computers to speak to women online. Um, he also, Andrew called them about six months ago asking for his old job back and Iqbal said no, said like, nah we can't do that like it wouldn't have been appropriate to do that at all now in march 2006 on the 8th of march police actually create a reconstruction of the kidnapping and they actually get police to pretend to like be andrew and get bundled in a car and all this stuff so they reenact this and publish this to see if this would get any leads but unfortunately no leads came from this either now my favorite thing of all time crime watch actually featured on Andrew's case was featured on BBC's Crime Watch if you don't know what Crime Watch is I don't know why you listen to a crime podcast um Crime Watch is just I am such an advocate for Crime Watch I can't believe it stopped I say this every time we mention Crime Watch it was brilliant because it helped cases like this that were a bit stuck get solved um and they actually offered a reward of five thousand pounds for information bear in mind that's like 2006 or that's quite a lot of money they showed the reconstruction, they showed the efforts, like they showed loads on this. And when I like obviously speak about Crime Watch and I just said they're like, it helps cases be solved. And some people are like, mm, does it? I'm going to just give you an example before I carry on. The, that Crime Watch was um, one of the main reasons that the James Baldry case was solved. Did you know that, Samantha? I did not. Well, I, I will tell wow. you, two-year-old James Baldry obviously was kidnapped by 10-year-old child killers John Venables and Robert Thompson. We all know the story into the 1993. But viewers identified the killers after CCTV footage of them leading um, James away was shown on Crime Watch. There you go. I didn't really know that either. So there you go. So, of course, Andrew's case is featured. £5,000 reward. Samantha, would you like to take a guess how many calls... They received about Andrew's case once once the episode aired. Would you like to take a guess how many calls they got? Because there is money involved, I think fifty thousand. Wow! Don't say- <laughs> what did you say? Please don't say zero calls. Yeah, it got absolutely no calls. Wow! So they've had no witnesses from the Ibrox game, from anything like that, they have then also put this on Crime Watch, which I had a look and I Googled and I couldn't get an exact like estimated figure, but some cases like that have been solved received about five, 6,000 calls, like helping solve them. So I was expecting even, as you said, exactly money's involved. So I was expecting people that definitely had nothing to do with it to come out and be like, oh, like I saw this, nothing, absolutely nothing. So obviously we are talking about the kidnapping theory and if he faked his own death, etc. But nothing can be kind of confirmed yet as, of course, Andrew has not been cited. His cars, nothing have been used. And there's obviously been nobody as of yet. Um, in 2006, people were starting to report sightings and the police would look into all of them. But unfortunately, they were not him. 
And then sadly, on the 5th of April 2007, Andrew's skull was found in a fishing net by some fishermen who had been trawling the Firth of Clyde. Um, and it was found near an island of like Little Cumbria, which, just fun fact about Little Cumbria, the population in the early 90s was roughly six people. Now it's zero and is a nature reserve. In case you're thinking like, oh, he's maybe been dumped from this island. I, I don't think at this time it was really an accessible island. I'm not too sure. Um, now, the fishermen were obviously pulling up fish in their net and they found what looked like and was a human skull. It was very decomposed and it was actually missing the lower jawbone. Now, they actually sailed back immediately and called the police and the police believe that the skull was dropped near Little Cumbria, like a small island about 37 miles southwest of Glasgow. As I mentioned to you, that's where it is. Um, in May the 30th, 2007, there is a press conference of the case and they officially confirmed then that the skull was his and that the family are aware, of course, grieving. No cause of death could be determined um, with obviously just the skull because, as I said, he's missing his lower jaw, but if that's been in the water for, you know, this was May, there's never potentially a year, over a year, like, and it's decomposed, it's not saying that the bottom of the skull wasn't attached when it went in the water. Now, the area around Little Cumbria, as I said, is being searched by investigators looking for his body because, um, of course, getting the skull just leads to more questions. Um, in a 2008 interview, the police disclosed that like extensive underwater searches using sonar equipment had been carried out in the area where the skull was located. And a marine geophysicist who coordinated the operation said that everything suggested there wasn't a huge amount of sediment movement, making it unlikely a body would have moved far. It's a really difficult case, but I found that the flat seabed in that area meant it was worth continuing because targets would stand out sufficiently well on the sonar. Now, if you are like me and the first time I read that, I honestly was like, mm. what it basically means is like the water and like the movement of the water there is so like, like the way I can describe it is there's not a lot of movement. So if the body was dumped there and like where the skull was, that body's not going to move far. And like because the bottom of the sea is quite flat as well, it would have probably just lay there and they could have seen different parts of his body really easily. Like, you know, if someone gets dumped by the force road bridge, that's quite a high tide and that's going to go, that body can go anywhere. Whereas what, what he's saying is like the body couldn't get far. D does that make sense? How I've described that, Samantha, or am I just going on? Nope, makes sense to me. Okay, well, yeah, hopefully, yeah. if it makes sense to me and Samantha, you should understand. <laughs> <laughs> and basically in 2007, also, sorry, June, an Irish fishing, uh, fishing boat was on the Firth of Clyde, uh, pulling up some prawns, and with it, a human body was found in its net near the island Ailsa Craig. Then they went straight to Campbelltown Police Station, and the police obviously began investigating this, and of course they are thinking this is Andrew. However, this body had a head, so it was ruled out as Andrew, because obviously they found his skull. Now the body actually belonged to another man named Andrew Campbell, whose car seemed to have like fallen off a pier somewhere I don't know if it was deliberately driven off I don't really know the full story of that um a few months earlier and they then found his body so for his family like that was actually quite devastating because obviously they got the skull so the news that Andrew's not alive is kind of probably already sunk in but the fact that they still don't have his body they can't like properly put him to rest like they probably got their hopes up when they heard about this but unfortunately it wasn't him now in February 2008, an interview with police stated that they suspected Andrew might have actually been murdered 
as a result of telling his kidnappers or whoever it was what he had discussed with the police in relation to the fraud inquiry. So they think that he's maybe been kidnapped. They've been like, tell me what you've told them. And he's told them and then blah, 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 blah. And allegedly what he told them was like there was something about like a multi-million pound like carousel scheme designed to like exploit tax loopholes. So they believe he was involved in that. And that he basically told the kidnappers, look, this is what I've said. And they've been like, right, okay, well, it's out now. We're just going to kill you to get rid of you. Of course, that's never been proven. Um, but that is one of the ideas the police had. Now, not even like 10 months later, at the end of 2008, two men are arrested in connection with Andrew's death. So on the 28th of November, 2008, Ian Miller, who was 44 at the time, and Derek Menzies, who was 46 at the time, were arrested and charged with the abduction and murder of Andrew Ramsey. Now, Ian Miller was a businessman who owned several homes across Scotland, valued over like £2 million, and at least one which was paid for just like fully in cash. Like he lived in Greenock, had three kids, typical kind of businessman. Derek Menzies was head of security for G1, which is Glasgow's biggest like pub and club chain. Like I'm sure he did some like the Clubland ones, and he organised door security for up to 40 clubs and pubs in Glasgow. Now, the men, as I said, are arrested and charged and they're questioned and released 12 hours after they were taken into custody with um, Ian Miller told detectives he'd actually never even met Derek Menzies and both men said they had never met or contacted Andrew and denied any involvement in his disappearance and obviously then death. Now, just a quick note as well, a newspaper reported at this time a £40,000 motorboat had also been seized and freshly examined in relation to the investigation, but it was returned to its owner, who is not a suspect in this case, a couple of weeks later after basically nothing was found. Now, obviously, of course, these guys have been arrested, charged, like that's been quite good. Of course, they were released 12 hours later, but it basically nothing came from that. Years passed, like with this happening in October 2011, um, a paper actually released that the prosecutors at the Crown Office were yet to receive an official police report on the two suspects. They basically just hadn't got it yet. Strathclyde Police claims to have sent the report um, after they concluded the question of Miller and Menzies. And basically Miller was then interviewed. So that's Ian Miller was interviewed and said, I have been limbo in limbo for the last three years. No one can tell me why I was a suspect in this man's murder. I was arrested in the morning and then dumped back on the street in the evening without any money after being charged. I've heard nothing since then. So what I can't really seem to get anything from this. Like I have really struggled to find out any information apart from what I've just told you. So I don't have a clue why they were arrested, what evidence they were arrested on why the police suspected them. The men are saying they haven't met each other and they haven't met Andrew. So I, I, I don't I don't really understand here. Um like I, I'm a bit confused. Like the only other thing that ever came up was um literally a month after that Ian Miller um where was that sorry he um purchased the home of a convicted drug dealer who basically masterminded a multi million pound cocaine smuggling operation. Basically, the guy was forced to sell the property to pay the money um, under the proceeds of Crime Acts and Miller bought it. That's the only other information I have on it. So I honestly am completely stumped at why they were arrested, charged and then obviously let go. I don't, I don't know how they even got them into the police station in the first place because 
I cannot find any information. If I'm missing something and someone Googles this case and finds it, please honestly let me know because I have absolutely not a scooby how they ended up like being arrested for that. And the fact, as the guy said, that was 2011, so I'm, I'm hoping it's changed now with the amount of years, but the police just like let them go and never really mentioned it again. Like I'd like to think if I was all of a sudden arrested and charged for murdering someone, then they just let me go. I'd also be asking, well, is, is my name cleared? Why did you have me in the first place? But as um, Miller said there, that's not really been done. Um, so, of course, as I just said to you, it's been nearly 20 years. Um, no, that's quite dramatic, isn't it? It happened 2006, so it's not really nearly 20 years. Four years Maybe off. Yeah, close. <sighs> close. Um, there has been no further arrests. Um, the charges against Miller and Menzies have not led to any court appearances or trials. Nothing has happened. Um, in 2015, Beverly Sinclair, Andrew's partner and, of course, the only witness to the abduction, unfortunately passed away from natural causes. Um, and Andrew's sister, Lisa, uh, Linda, sorry, feels Beverly was like their last hope in finding justice for the brother. And Linda actually said, like a direct quote, it's awful not knowing what happened to him, but there's nothing to be done now. There's no point in making another appeal. What would that achieve? His partner has died and she was the only witness. So this investigation has basically been across Scotland, England, Northern Ireland, Wales, Belgium, and more than a thousand people have been interviewed. 300 statements have been taken and over 1,300 lines of inquiry have been pursued. The two men have been arrested, charged and dropped. And still now there's absolutely nothing. Nobody can tell you what happened to Andrew. We don't know who those two men were. We don't know why they wanted to speak to him. We know absolutely nothing. And that is basically where it still is today. Um, which is the reason why I wanted to do this case, because I just think that's bizarre. Like, it is just like a complete cold case of nobody knows what happened to him. His body's still never been found. They've never been able to properly put him to rest. And I just think it's a really sad story. Like, even if he was involved in stuff, we've said this before, like, you still don't deserve to die. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I completely agree with you. That was crazy. And I've never heard of it before. And you'd think you would. You'd think it'd be one of those ones that you find online or, you know, or come across something or a TV show, like, because it's just mental. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, like, what kind of shook me is like, how normal he seemed. Like, of course, he was maybe involved in some like dodgier stuff. But I just can't get over how normal a man he seemed to like be and like how he looked etc like I've, I've spoke quite a lot about the way he looked and Samantha I've actually sent you a photo across just now as we were speaking of what he looks like he in the photo it'll be one that we put on our Instagram for you all to see by the time this episode is out but please look at that photo that. I wasn't picturing that at all no but doesn't he just look like most normal yeah but he just looks like a normal kind of like uncle man yeah which wow. I know is like a weird way to describe someone like you look like an uncle but he just looks so normal and I think that's what like blows my mind even more so I don't know by the time you listen to this you might have already seen our Instagram post you might not but please go and have a look and we'll obviously put a couple up but if you want to find more just obviously google his name yeah I actually as well found this case really really difficult to research for and there was like a few reasons why like first reason like it is quite old like it was 2006 as I said nearly 20 years um but also because there's just literally no information on these things as I said like when we spoke about people getting arrested and charged for stuff before that 
is normally a huge bulk of the episode, but there is absolutely nothing there. But also third, if people go to Google it, I do that a lot. See, whenever I listen to a podcast, I 100% go and like Google the person that's involved. If you Google Andrew Ramsey's name, there's a lot of articles on John Andrew Ramsey, who is Jean Benet Ramsey's brother. So you're a true crime fan. If you're listening to this, you'll know who Jean Benet Ramsey is. Um, <laughs> so um, her brother is John Andrew Ramsey. So a lot of like that seems to be as well. So I was having to search quite far back. So I would encourage you definitely to Google it. Like I always do that with episodes, but definitely go and have a Google and see what you find. But this is one of the most difficult ones to find, which is how I've ended up on like blog posts. And that's where I've got a lot of my quotes and stuff from. So it's quite interesting. But again, a lot of them as well were written at least like seven years ago. Um, so yeah, that's, sorry, I'll stop talking. Samantha, would you like to tell me any thoughts? No, um, I, I, everything I said earlier, like it's just crazy. And any other cases like that, or if, if you have anything at all, just send a send them our way to our Instagram because um, we'd love to look into them.